This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So, you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So, whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. The poem says, Human voices wake us, and we drown. But I've made this podcast with the belief that human voices are what we need. And so, whether from a year or 3,000 years ago, whether poetry or prose, whether fiction or diary or biography, here are the best things we have ever thought, written, or said. The two questions about art that usually come up from more practically minded people are, how much does it pay and what can it do for me? Uh, There are an awful lot of uh, corny answers to that second question, what can art do for us on a daily basis when our days are filled with work and a million other responsibilities? Um, But I don't know of a more powerful answer than the one that comes in just two or three pages of Lawrence Weschler's book uh, called Vermeer in Bosnia. And it's worth remembering that the artist Johannes Vermeer lived in the 17th century. And while he is remembered today for his serene interior paintings, almost all of them of women and almost all of them doing very quiet things, uh, pouring water, uh, weighing pearls, writing a letter, uh, playing music, um, scenes like that that seem so passive. It's worth remembering, as it says in this passage, that these immensely quiet scenes that still live on today and still persuade us to see the power of something like painting were created in an immensely tumultuous century and were also created by someone who in his lifetime only painted perhaps less than 40 works all told and that this almost certainly was not enough for him to make his living and that when he died young uh, Vermeer did indeed leave his wife and his family in immense amounts of debt so it's it's always worth noticing or becoming aware of these things when we look at the art, especially when the art appears to be so peaceful and serene. But this is uh, the passage from Lawrence Weschler, which is far from peaceful and serene. This is what it says. I happened to be in The Hague a while back, sitting in on the preliminary hearings of the Yugoslav war crimes trial, specifically those related to the case of Dusko Tadic, the only one of more than 40 accused war criminals whom the tribunal had actually been able to get its hands on up to that point. While there, I had occasion to talk with some of the principal figures involved in this unprecedented judicial undertaking. 
At one point, for instance, I was having lunch with Antonio Cassese, a distinguished Italian jurist who had been serving for the past two years as the president of the court, the head of its international panel of eleven judges. He'd been rehearsing for me some of the more gruesome stories that have crossed his desk, maybe not even the most gruesome, but just the sort of thing he has to contend with every day and which perhaps accounts for the sense of urgency he brings to his mission. The story, for instance, of a soccer player, as he recounted, famous guy, a Muslim. When he was captured, they said, aren't you so-and-so? He admitted that he was. So they broke both of his legs, handcuffed him to a radiator, and forced him to watch as they repeatedly raped his wife and two daughters, and then slit their throats. After that, he begged to be killed himself, but his tormentors must have realized that the cruelest thing they could possibly do to him now would simply be to set him free, which they did. Somehow, this man was able to make his way to some UN investigators and told them about his ordeal, a few days after which he committed suicide. Or, for instance, as Cassese went on, some of the tales about Tadic himself, how, in addition to the rapes and murders he's accused of, he is alleged to have supervised the torture of a particular group of Muslim prisoners, at one point forcing one of his charges to emasculate the other with his teeth. The one fellow died, and the guy who bit him went mad. Stories like that, one judge's daily fare. And at one point, I asked Judge Cassese how, regularly obliged to gaze into such an appalling abyss, he had kept from going mad himself. His face brightened. Ah, he said with a smile. You see, as often as possible, I make my way over to the Moritz House Museum in the center of town so as to spend a little time with the Vermeers. Sitting there over lunch with Cassese, I'd been struck by the perfect aptness of his impulse. I, too, had been spending time with the Vermeers at the Moritz House and at the Ricks Museum in Amsterdam as well. For Vermeers' paintings, almost uniquely in the history of art, radiate a centeredness, a peacefulness, a serenity, as Cassese put it, it's a sufficiency, a sense of perfectly equiposed grace. In his exquisite study of Vermeer, Edward Snow has deployed as epigraph a line from Andrew Forge's essay, Painting and the Struggle for the Whole Self, which reads, quote, In ways that I do not pretend to understand fully, painting deals with the only issues that seem to me to count in our benighted time, freedom, autonomy, fairness, and love. And I've often found myself agreeing with Snow's implication that somehow these issues may be more richly and fully addressed in Vermeer than anywhere else. But that afternoon with Cassese I had a sudden further intuition as to the true extent of Vermeer's achievement, something I hadn't fully grasped before. For of course, when Vermeer was painting those images, which for us have become the very emblem of peacefulness and serenity, all of Europe was Bosnia, 
or had just recently ceased to be. Awash in incredibly vicious wars of religious persecution and proto-nationalist formation, wars of an at that time unprecedented violence and cruelty, replete with sieges and famines and massacres and mass rapes, unspeakable tortures and wholesale devastation. To be sure, the sense of Holland during Vermeer's lifetime, which we are usually given, that of the country's so-called golden age, is one of becalmed, burger-like efficiency. But that Holland, to the extent that it ever existed, was of relatively recent provenance, and even then under threat of being overwhelmed once again. Any comments or suggestions for readings I should make in future episodes can be emailed to humanvoiceswakeus, the number one, at gmail.com. Links to each work used in this episode can be found in the episode description. If you enjoy Human Voices Wake Us, you can subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. The music here is Duke Ellington's Arabesque Cookie.